football on off the ball with sky all the football you love in one place across sky sports bt sport and premier sports Second half underway in the Champions League this evening. Man City are 1-0 up away to Leipzig. Mares pounced on some very sloppy play in the Leipzig half. We are uh, 50 minutes on the clock. The other game this evening, Inter against Porto, is currently nil all. Dan McDonnell is here in studio. Good evening once again. Hello, Dan. Evening, Joe. I'll give you a bit more than that. Come on. We're psyched. Uh, We're pumped. I'm not even going to feign something. I am, I am happy to be here. It's just like I mean I know you well enough at this stage there's no sense of surprise if I see you I'm not going to go over the top here you can't say I'm not going to feign something I am happy to be here <laughs> that's actually a good point but it's just like, I'm not going to go very high pitched okay I mean let's we, we, let's get talking about some sort of uh, energising subjects and I think the tempo will naturally lift I've got just the ticket Republic of Ireland nil China nil Lo- a low tempo affair oh must dear. be said so five months on Tuesday World Cup starts mm. that will be an amazing occasion with 80,000 I presume majority being Australians but I dare say plenty of expats will manage to get tickets as well crammed into a stadium it will be intense it will be tense it will be um, dynamic there will be a sense of occasion Republic of Ireland nil China nil today at one o'clock was none of those things obviously Um, Ireland it must be said have now lost just one of their last 14 games and that was an experimental side against Russia in the Pinatar Cup so the run of form is excellent. China are 14th in the world to Ireland's 23rd in the world. So Vera Pau is pursuing this policy of playing against high caliber opposition that will continue in the summer when they play the USA twice in the US. An amazing uh, preparation and, and lead into the World Cup, it must be said. But this was not very good. No, I mean, I think it was seven clean sheets on the bounce as well. There's, there's certainly a, a very formidable defensive record there. And certainly... Ireland probably hard to beat, not particularly easy to watch, you know. But that's again, like we sort of talked a little bit about this off air. I mean, I mean, when you have like a major tournament year, and even the nature of like some of these games, the, the ones in Dublin will be big. The estate, the states ones, as you mentioned, the trip to the US, I think is April maybe. Like that's going to be that would probably be elevated at a certain level. I mean, a training camp effectively game in in Spain with a very small crowd almost to the point it was like being back watching closed doors football again like it's never going to be good really I mean it's it's very unlikely to open up and sort of be a, a trading game and it's not as if this Irish team is really learning how to play they have a fairly defined idea about what they want to do and they're just sort of refining it a bit um, you know it's still in some ways there's some new faces being dropped in but it's it's also quite an experienced spine of the team in, in parts as well and it's it's just about minutes in games and working on stuff with a view to probably being underdogs in a lot of games in the summer and it's um, to be honest about it like yes yeah, some people will tune in and get involved with probably the France game here in particular maybe maybe the Zambia game as well the American games might pick up a certain audience it'll obviously probably be a different time of night yeah. um, but everyone's going to be completely tuned in as you mentioned for like five months on, on on Tuesday or whatever the day is and that's going to be a game that will like everyone I think will be watching it and fully on board and it's just going to be such a different contest than anything that happens in the intervening period that these games obviously have a meaning but not not a huge meaning yeah for anyone who didn't see the game I, I watched the first 70 80 minutes that I come in here to record an interview but certainly for that first 
60, 70 minutes. I think as I glanced at the screen in the very latter quarter, maybe Ireland were shown a, a, a touch more possession in the Chinese half. But certainly for the bulk of that game, Ireland were very secure defensively and that is their MO and that is what this success has been built on. But it really must be said, like this team are beyond patronising, it really must be said in possession of the ball, it was very dispiriting and quite worrying really. I would think in the first half, Ireland did not put together four passes in a row in the Chinese half. Mm. Uh, I couldn't see any discernible shape or pattern. Certainly when they were in possession, Della Harp making her debut right back, she would push on and they had three across the back. But from that point on, Aoife Mannion good in possession on her debut, but generally moves were breaking down within two, three passes tops. And so it was it was hard to discern a pattern. And you know, it was interesting on, on commentary, like the word being used was, oh, but maybe they're a touch rusty. They're in the middle of the season. Mm. Rusty doesn't explain so many of the basic footballing errors which we saw and and that just has to be improved on uh, very very quickly uh, there's no point naming individuals but I mean we're talking like real basic skills and they were shown like they were disappointed themselves at times but what struck me afterwards is that I was reading the RT website saying Ireland spent the bulk of the nine day Marbella training camp trying to sharpen up their attacking play mm. So this was a nine-day camp in Marbella sharpening up attacking play because defensively they've been so good. And the evidence of nine days' work, it wasn't good. Vera Pau afterwards said of their attacking play, the idea was that we were building up. I don't use the word little much, but a little earlier occupation of the pitch. We wanted to occupy in the pockets with angles, a little bit higher pace of passing to give each other time, a little bit more alert anticipation to what's happening that can bring us higher up the pitch and creating chances. That's fine. So it's a process. The words don't tally, I think, with that performance. I feel ultimately there are parallels with 88 and 90 and the football may not be extraordinarily ambitious despite what the coach says I'm not, I just don't see a, the evidence on the pitch no. this is a, a hard to beat counter attacking team that are full of grit and determination and team spirit and they are organised out of possession China didn't trouble them overly and so to be fair to them you know I, I, I don't really see what Vera is talking about I just don't see it however they're at a World Cup and if ever there's an occasion which won't suit the type of team that they are it's today, and if ever there's a situation that will suit the type of team that they are, it is Scotland away, it is tournament football. So I'm kind of sitting here watching it saying, again, a very soft ride, like it was not a good performance and, and it should be called out a bit, but, you know, look at the results and look it's at where hard. they are. They've, they've made the biggest breakthrough in the history of the yeah. sport here. And it's, it's their, you know, this is the start of the road. So, I mean, I've pretty being there on the beat covering teams at various stages and when you're probably very much active on that beat like you naturally sort of get caught into the language of okay you're probably in the stadium and you sense well this isn't really a you know a proper game that was always one thing with the, the closed doors football during during COVID even some of the Ireland games you're there going god like this is just a Oh, this is such a nondescript event but naturally maybe sometimes for the, the TV viewer it's just analysing the same way you would any game and it's like well yeah so maybe you, you can veer towards that okay I can see what they're working on here and, and this game is just one part of the camp rather than 
like it's not a nine day camp necessarily leading towards a competitive qualifier where then if the competitive performance is bad um, it raises questions about the quality of the camp like maybe they've done good things in the camp that sure. we'll see at a later date nor is it our first nine days working with the team no it's not and like, I mean Are do you is, just, am I off here no, I don't think so. Okay. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't believe so. I think. I mean. I think this is the type of discussion you want to have. I think. Look, there's a massive symbolic element to what they've achieved. Totally agree. And yeah. I think that that will, and we're probably still in that stage of the game, and that will be the case probably all the way up to the World Cup and the fever pitch will build around it. But naturally, this thing is going to evolve over a period of time. The growth of the sport and the interest is going to evolve over time, and I think that's when stuff like the way you play and 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 how you operate becomes more important you know that's the next phase of it like we're probably still at the phase where it's um um we're, we're sort of get, get raising awareness of the team still and that sometimes can seep into maybe some of the discourse around it that can lead to a slightly a slightly softer ride in the sense of well isn't this great that they've done this no Irish team has done this before which is true but the natural question still has to be and should be: Can they be better? You know, and that—that that, I'm pretty sure that's the, that's what the type of sort of analysis that players will want. Mm. You know, and they'll probably know themselves that wasn't great. But then again, I mean, there was a time before the last campaign where they had this losing run, including in friendlies. Um, you know, actually largely built up by playing some difficult teams and friendlies, and there would have been a sense then of people going, "Well, these results aren't good." Very best said, "Well, I'm working towards a plan." She was spectacularly vindicated, and how that panned out so true like you know that this is possibly the um the inverse of that like they i mean they do have this thing where they've the, the newcomers been dropped into the squad as well um you know the three new recruits so again they all come out for their interviews and and talk about how well this be actually been in training for some time i've wanted to do this and uh, the different the different degrees um I, I would still have a slight feeling just have to get the balance right with that too um since be speculation there might be more um i just have to be a little bit wary on that i would have thought you know and naturally you upset the ecosystem well and and no one's ever going to come out and say that now and like they may all be great characters and maybe everyone's absolutely fine with it mm. um, but there, there, there does come a point at some stage where uh, X amount of people go on the plane I'm not sure it's at 26 um, what the what the what the bottom line that, that gets to travel in a July but there will be people left out you know, there will be hard luck stories um, and these are just little tests that you have to you have to you have to balance. You I think know. it's twenty three actually. The twenty three is it? Okay. Appeals for twenty six, and they were rejected. right. Okay, yeah. We've well, got that makes s- it even harder. Yeah, no, for sure. We've got some reaction post match. Kathleen McNamee over there for off the ball, and she spoke to the Irish manager both about the game and about the camp generally in Marbella. So really good performance from the girls today and some really good starts for the girls who've had their first caps. Were you impressed with their performances? Um, yes, but uh, expected what they given. Uh, because we've seen them now the whole week, we've analysed them from screens from all the games that they've played. So um, um, they're actually maybe a little bit beyond expectation, but that is because of the camp, because of the sharpness and the intensity of our training sessions, that they grow to this, uh, to this level. That's something that a lot of the girls have mentioned when I've been talking to them was the intensity of the training camp and today was a very physical match. There was a lot happening and how much it prepared them for it. How important was it for you to have those high intensity training camps knowing you're facing a physical side like China? 
We always do that. Where we work, we work. And it's always 100% action, so highest intensity with a lot of rest. So, for example, to get players um, uh, a snappy, the ones who, who hardly played on Friday, we did um, uh, 4v4s. Then we only work one minute and we have three minutes rest. So, and, and that in repetition uh, we, did, we did a number of times. But that shows how we do it. So because of getting those rests in, we can do everything 100%. And that brings them to this level in such a short time. And I thought one of the big differences I noticed from the last time I watched the team play was how much more confident a lot of players were on the ball and working it out from the back. Is that something that you've really worked on with the side? Yeah, that was the aim of this camp, that we were starting to uh, uh, to implement that um, with a lot of emphasis and a lot of risk. Uh, you've seen we could also have lost because of it, but um, we need to use these moments to make that step. And I usually don't uh, use the word little, but just a little bit better occupation of the pitch, a little bit higher pace of passing uh, and a little, little bit of um, earlier anticipation of what is happening, that would bring us to a higher level and you can only do that under the highest pressure. Um, so we worked in training on it, but the pressure of the game is teaching us and uh, that is why I'm so happy with also all the mistakes that were there. Uh, by times it was not good, but we, we can only grow from it uh, from doing it and I think the whole game we've been trying. I was going to ask was there anything that kind of particularly concerned you or something maybe that you thought next camp that's the thing I want to focus on and really like work out the cracks in? Well the next camp uh, will be under huge pressure and that huge pressure um, is then an, of a complete different aim. So the the, the opponents that we've chosen, we've chosen in a way that, um, for example, this week um, we could play closer against Germany to be ready for the pressure so that we could work on our uh, attacking play. And because normally you're more open, so you will get more risks against. But the fact that we play Germany, we could do this now. And the next step is that we need to get under the highest pressure again uh, into that next step. If you're a player there chatting to Kathleen, I guess the, the key fair point she makes is there were mistakes there were like they, you have to do it under massive pressure to get better at it and therefore this is the start of getting better at it so that's where you have to say you were vindicated before and yeah. a bit of patience is due for sure one last uh, piece of reaction from the game today Aoife Mannion was good in defence looked very promising on her debut Manchester United defender she slotted in alongside Louise Quinn she was talking to Kathleen as well post-match obviously for her massively proud moment her parents were there so debut couldn't really have gone any better for you it was a great performance oh thank you um, obviously we were really pleased first and foremost to keep a clean sheet we were pushing for that goal at the end uh, it didn't come today but we think over this camp we've made a great step forward so that's really pleasing you very nearly got a goal as well to add to a generally very, very good performance. Yeah, we were pushing, really pushing for that goal. I think it would have topped off a brilliant camp so far. Um, and, and hopefully we're going to take that forward into this campaign over the next few months. And it was an interesting game. China were quite tough. They were quite rough at times and the referee maybe wasn't like pulling things as much as you would kind of expect them to. How was it actually out there on the pitch? Credit to China, they had a bit of everything. We knew that they were going to be really technically gifted. Um, some of their passing is second to none. And they also brought a bit of personality with it. So we really had to bring our best game. Um, for me personally, I got to get stuck into loads of tackles, so I was really pleased about that. Um, but overall, I think we've put on a good performance today and we're pleased with the clean sheet.
Definitely seemed like the team was very comfortable on the ball. You know, sometimes we've seen Ireland a bit panicky on the ball whenever they have it, but like there was a lot of working it out from the back and being patient and not just throwing long balls up. Is that something you guys have been working on? Yes, exactly. We've been working on that this camp. We, uh, We've spoke with Vera, Vera spoke to us about taking a step forward in terms of our ability to create chances on the ball. Um, And obviously all of the stuff that's got us so far into this campaign in terms of being really solid defensively, um, keeping a clean sheet, being quick on transition, we've got to keep that as well. Um, But we have tried to to build a little bit on that. So it's quite pleasing that you've picked that up. I hope it was a good, I hope it was good to watch. No, it was. And like everyone in the press box was commenting on it at the time. Um, And how did it feel for you putting on the green jersey for the first time? I know we talked to you a lot last week about you know how it felt being called into your first camp but actually getting the jersey getting the starting lineup like that's pretty good yeah it's probably only now after the game where I feel like a little bit more overwhelmed obviously before the game and in the game it's kind of like everything's business uh, you know task at hand trying to get the job done in the game but now I can see my family over there in the stands um, and from from a personal point of view I'm really really pleased a little bit overwhelmed um, and really excited for the next few years Eve Mannion speaks incredibly well and so she's eyeing up a seat in that plane. It's mm. a good debut. Yeah, you can tell um, the, the accent she grew up around Jack Grealish. Was from the, they were the same neck of the woods. Okay. Yeah, they would have played, they knew each other, they would have played GEA actually in sort of similar circles when they Is were kids. Prerequisite that you also give really good post-match interviews. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they're, they're just they're, they're, they're made differently around sort of Birmingham direction. We'll take a short break. We need to talk about Liverpool RIP. We need to talk a piece uh, about a piece you wrote highlighting a uh, really worrying state of affairs when it comes to the, to the development of our best teenage footballers. And it's kind of a, a frightening stat that you have in that piece. Uh, Ladies in the Champions League, Leipzig nil, Manchester City won. Back in one second. Our football show brought to you with uh, Sky. Watch every Champions League and Europa League match live in BT Sport this season. Off the ball daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, you had to be there, crappy quiz, and a slight tangent. It's incredibly useful, and why not do it just because you think it's agricultural? Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. Football on Off the Ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. Welcome back, Joe Malloy here, Dan McDonald alongside me. Leipzig have the ball in the Man City net header. Is VAR intervening? We're, we're just watching. It was sort of a, a little bit messy in the box. We're so conditioned to like expecting a delay. If there's any kind of a skirmish for the, for the ball, yeah. um, I mean, there's no suggestion that there is. I know. Yeah. I think we're, Good. we're playing Good. on one all. Guardiol, our old mate from Croatia's um, World Cup journey, who was uh, shown. He was uh, hailing a taxi after Messi sent him the wrong way completely yeah, yeah, in the semi-final yeah. but he was very good in the tournament. One all in Leipzig he was. I don't recognise him without his face mask. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, Liverpool, RIP. It's over, it's done. Yeah, look, we this touched era, it. Yeah. Nito. It was an amazing, amazing occasion, game, to and fro I watched it alongside Kenny Cunningham in here and numerous times in the first half we remarked, God, the quality is great on both ends. Lots of great defending both sides, lots of great attacking play. Liverpool looked, so you can forget this now. So in, in the annals of history, this is consigned as a horrific Liverpool performance. I thought the first, the bulk of the first half, they were perfectly decent. They really were. Like, they yeah, passed yeah, away, yeah. they were sharp, they were winning the ball off Madrid. 
they were putting Madrid under pressure. There was a moment at 2-0 where there's a tackle on the Real Madrid goal line to stop it being three. Mm. Like the Nunes goal is a thing of beauty from pass to finish. Alisson contributes to their downfall. So they, like there was a touch of oh, two all. God, they could have it could have been a lot better for them. They were very good. And then be it they can't sustain their physicality or they just get punished for the shortcomings in their game. The whole house burns down. Yeah. Like I know we like, spoke about it a bit in the news round, so like you know, it's let's just repeat the same points again. But like there is that sense of if you have a team that has been dismantled a number of times this season, you know, like there's an element of like clearly just a team and I know that the, it's, this sounds contradictory because they started really well last night but even a team that comes out at times in matches and is behind early the amount of early goals they conceded that fall bond I suppose the second half in a weird way was probably a version of that it was like they reset yeah, and yet they come back out and they just don't have whatever it might be the structure or the physicality or the whole package to sort of sustain a high level game like that um, I mean like the goals are terrible as you mentioned like the sorry some of the goals were fantastic but I mean the third goal just a routine set piece yeah. across the area it's actually sort of almost an embarrassing goal to concede um, and that comes down to again some kind of malaise that creeps through it's like it's it can be I know that can be broken down very simply and maybe this is what great managers did to go no it was just a couple of mistakes like that was that was just a, a malfunction there um, they have their own markets. It didn't, didn't work out in some shape or form. And you know, the Allison mistake, and you can break it down. But when teams sort of rack up those number of errors, it's happening consistently. It's more a case of you've just lost something. Yeah. Something that something that allows a team like to do the incredible things that it did last season to like to play every match they possibly could. There's an element of momentum that pulls you along mm. through that. And instead, what you're seeing now is yes, there's flashes of the brilliance. There's flashes of that magic is still there. Yeah. But they just they can't see it through, you know. And and when some of your trusted players, even like Allison, like Van Dyke, yeah. uh, are making mistakes, a couple of others are older, a couple of others are trying to replace players who've gone. Um, you just you just end up being a bit inconsistent or a bit sort of flaky or whatever you want to call it, you know. And and there's always a rush to diagnose it and it's very pronounced after you can see five goals at home but it's sort of a staggering thing to say I think you mentioned earlier like the Anfield European night is one of these things that sort of exists it obviously has a mythical quality about it except it's the real thing for them mm. in terms of how it delivers and the idea that they would concede five there just sounds I know. absurd and like as you say you break down the goals individually and I, they can all be sort of explained away in certain respects Alison's mistake Vinicius's junior's uh, brilliance for one of them like he, Henderson potentially could have done better at the, the beginning but ultimately he cuts inside he's hard to stop it's a brilliant strike you sort of have to applaud that and say it's great then there's the goal where um, Bacic who ironically I thought was a bit more conservative in his passing than he'd been in the Premier League thus far in midfield he beats a man brilliantly and then just exuberance of youth and experience tries to beat another loses the ball they're sucker punched mm. on the counter the goal Fabinho like, just gives it away and, and as I mentioned to you in the news round this is a, a, a different football to what we were raised on both fullbacks are pushed on everyone's yeah. pushed on it's like a high wire act that they managed brilliantly for so many seasons but 
when it's not your day, it's not your day. And so he loses the ball. Everyone's out of position. For me, that doesn't mean, oh, look, Alexander Arnold's a bad defender. He's out of position. That's the ethos. That's where he's, he's meant to be further up the field. Fabinho, you just can't give the ball away. So again, in isolation, Fabinho would say, I know, sorry, it was just one of those moments, but he's having one of those seasons. Mm. And then the other point, and it's so obvious that actually we've all stopped saying it. Like we talk a lot about the midfield, oh, the midfield, the midfield, the midfield, lacks energy, lacks physicality, they're porous. And for sure that's a problem. But like, Mane, Peak Firmino, Salah, they're world away from this. Like, and that, it's, and it's that didn't happen overnight either. No, yeah. I, no I, that's I, a failure management that yeah. they've, they've ended up here. But like, they're just a world away from. They're a world away from in how those three. Again, if you're going to push your fullbacks on and play the way that Liverpool played, think how good that front three were at keeping possession and winning possession and dominating a back four or back five or whatever. They would dominate them. And now, like Gakpo and, and Nunes, they're they're fine. I mean, and a good example like I mentioned in the news round in the second half Nunes at the, there's a counter-attacking point left-hand side edge of the Liverpool area Madrid have somebody's back but Liverpool have somebody's forward and, and he starts running with the ball and he just runs straight towards the centre circle into traffic Madrid say psycho in a mile away pal thank you very much mm. away we go it's like he's so raw he's five years off being what peak Mane was mix all of that together where does Klopp start? I don't know. Can you have a transfer window where you get rid of six or seven? Bring yeah. in six or seven? But like even with the, the signed, say Diaz, you know, he came in whenever that was, like last January, and yeah. then, again, he's had bad luck with injury, but there was a sense of, okay, Liverpool are recruiting a particular type of player. Like even you'd hear that anecdotally, like the type of players they would look for, even in terms of their underage recruits, like tied in with a certain type. Like there's a kid from Derry who's very talented, Trent Coney Doherty. We'll be hearing about him in, in the coming years. Yeah. And very exciting winger. And, and there was a sense of like, there's a type of player Liverpool want. And it's all about, you know, that front three and whatever. You know, they, they recruit specifically. And it, you sort of felt we were, I mean, Diaz came in and was like, this is great. You know, this is a seamless transition. But then even that was why people even were a little bit and you can see how Nunez could in theory fit into that with some of his attributes, but then they saw Gakbo and people were like, Okay, what's what's happening here? Maybe they're not convinced but Nunez, they're they're fumbling around a bit trying to find something. And like the thing is, I know what you're saying about the peak front three that was there, but obviously that was gonna come to an end of the cycle and, and every team like faces that evolution and it's, it's striking like we talk about uh City here. You're watching City here who like they haven't had that type of reliance to a point on the union of a certain number of players. Like there's an interchangeable element to it. Like Foden's going through maybe a, a bit of a uh, you know a mini slump at the yeah. moment, but then they've got Mares or you know Grealish has come in and out. And okay, I mean let's be honest, they've been far from perfect this season. Yeah. But the Liverpool thing was maybe built on um, relationships between players. And the basically and City one is just a bit more. the same thirteen fourteen every game. Yeah, and that I mean, it's and they got away with that it. That sort of catches up with you eventually, like inevitably. Like it's just a hard thing. Yeah, they struck gold with Salah. What did they pay for Salah? Thirty-four odd million. Yeah, uh, they signed Mane in sixteen from Southampton. People quibbled about that at the time. Firmino complimented them like he was also peak Firmino. Yeah, sort of. So, so the odds on your transfer department, and there does seem to have been something of a brain drain at Liverpool to exacerbate things. I mean, the odds that you'll spend similar money and get similar results again are borderline remote here. That, mm. was, like, that was just potentially, like you, you, when it happens, 
it can be explained. Well, we've the best data, data analytics, and, and we've you know the club is so well run. Okay, I buy that. There's also a degree of you did remarkably well. Like repeat that for us in ten years when you need to regenerate, and it's obviously not as easy as it looks. And they clicked, even if you know, they even if, yeah, well, like, <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, like, there was there was competitive and, yeah. and rivalry between them, but I mean. I mean, didn't bother Andy Cole and Teddy Sheringham either, did it? You know, and that's no, it's, it's creative, it was a football creative differences. It was a football sort of harmony yeah. that existed there, and and now they're they're again as I said they're sort of reaching around for something and just can't yeah. quite find it, and then it exposes like fault lines that exist further back as well too. So it all adds up. Going to be an interesting summer. You wrote a piece today, which probably needs to be shouted from the rooftops by every sports show, sports podcast and potentially on political shows as well because this was something Micheál Martin suggested would be helped and, and, and uh, still addressed. Waiting. Still waiting. Yeah. On this show actually, he's in this studio. So your piece in the Irish Independent, here's a sobering statistic. Uh, there are more people working full time in the youth section of Luton Town than in the entirety of the League of Ireland Academy structure. Mm. Uh, for the guidance of 145 footballers, Luton Town have 24 full-time staff. They have between 25 and 30 in a part-time capacity. In Ireland, there are still Premier Division clubs without a person working permanently in this area. And when you consider that players are now staying at home for longer because of Brexit and spending the key years of 16 to 18 in this country, it is an absurd state of affairs. Sure is. Yeah, and you could probably pick other clubs and, and stick their name into that too. I mean, the point about that is Luton are only, like, their history is as a Category 3 academy in England as well too. It's the third tier. So, like, there's actually criteria you have to meet. So, I mean, we're talking about Luton here. I've been listening to you since Brexit was first uh, unveiled. What's the correct term for what Brexit was? <laughs> Shout Un- out. Unleashed. <laughs> Unleashed. Uh, 2016, and the point was made, and then uh, league, uh, Irish football decided to move in a certain direction. So that basically, these various events converged to the point being made that the League of Ireland clubs will have academies and they will oversee the development of our future generations. Yeah. And then you write that piece in 2023, seven years on, and certain Premier Division clubs don't seem to have full-time staff to oversee yeah. this development. We're sleepwalking into like a piece been written in 10 years about lost generations. I mean, it's the danger. I mean, that Luton stat is doing the rounds. I think Vinnie Pert has mentioned it as well. And and like, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. Like the, the, the context for this was there was a launch of the new underage season here yesterday. So Will Clark, who's the coordinator for the League of Ireland Academies, who was previously with St Joseph's Boys, so he's been in the schoolboy football world, is now working for the FBI in the League of Ireland Academies. Like he's he's been a very good appointment because he he doesn't probably sugarcoat things in terms of there was a time for like for a period of time I think the FBI had to give presentations to justify themselves and say everything was was fine whereas now I think the tone is a bit more no there's a lot to do here and what is happening at the moment is there's no doubt that the FAR are making plans I mean I, I talk about we're still waiting for the government I think there is an element of the FAI putting down together putting down on paper what they necessarily want what they actually need because there are some clubs in the league who are bought into the youth development side of things there's a financial benefit to it but you can see, they can see the benefits of it in a, in a number of ways there are possibly others who aren't and um, what they are in the process of trying to do in the FAI now is to probably 
introduced and it sounds boring and it's it's a bit like some people are like, oh, it's a slide of this, but this stuff is actually really, really important. And they're trying to introduce some kind of categorization and tiers of our academies so that if you don't have full-time staff, if you don't have educational programs for your parents, if you don't have this, well then if funding does come, you are getting a smaller piece of yeah. the pie. Because there is a sense sometimes, League of Ireland clubs will just divide it by, we'll t- take a round figure, we'll divide it by 20 or however many clubs yeah. there is at that point and off you go, lads. And people, that would naturally would drive people mad, including in the schoolboy world, schoolboy clubs world who, who feel that power was taken away from them and they would they would see this and be pretty concerned. Now, my attitude is, unfortunately, the old days as they existed are are gone. They aren't coming back. This is the way it's going to be going forward. How can you make the best of it? And there's no doubt that part of the debate is, um, okay, we now have control over these players from 16 to 18 and should have more control and direction over them prior to that as well. Um, but how do you how do you fix it? Um, and there possibly is tough decisions that have to be made in the sense of, well, maybe uh, clubs have to come a certain part of the way we'll meet you a certain part of the way and it's only a handful of clubs or you know a smaller number of clubs that are sort of given a little bit of a push in terms of their funding to, to get on with things you know um, but you, they have you, to be willing to, to, use, uh, to go the extra mile too I suppose to use a practical example which sometimes helps Evan Ferguson yeah so by dint of his parentage he was able to get over to England before the age of 18. Well, that's a bit of a grey area, actually, but yes, he was somehow able to get over to the UK. Um, I've said previously it was to do with parentage. That's, I'm, I was told that was not the case, but somehow he got over there. That's sufficient for this example. Yes. Somehow Evan Ferguson got over there at 16. Now, I guess the, the really pointed question Irish football has to ask itself is the education he received between 16 and 18 in England to get him to the point where he is versus where he would be if he had stayed in Ireland mm. at whatever, you know, I don't want to name a club because let's just say yeah. on average, let's go, let's go uh, somewhere in the middle. How comparable are those two educations? Oh, like it's, it's not comparable. And, but so, so what has to happen now is then if you have a good 16-year-old here, yeah. 56-year-old, you, you have to put them into the first team of a club to guarantee them, say, full-time training because most of the first teams now at those clubs are, are are full-time like for example Sam Curtis spoke yesterday a name I think people will hear a lot of in the future defender at St. Patrick's Athletic has stayed at home he's expected to, he turns 18 this year so it's quite likely he'll go linked yeah. with Man City amongst others he actually spoke about how he'd left school after his junior search yeah. to play football here but he had to go into first team setups there's no such thing here really that people have transitioned your programs and various things but like a full time under 18 team so if you have a really promising 16 year old and you want to try and keep them going you have to push them into your first team yeah. and like that hasn't you're going to lose a lot of late developers well yeah and like I will say in their defence like some of the, st- the stuff Will Clark laid out yesterday again not as exciting they are trying to do stuff they're taking out some of the league tables at under 14 level making it into a more of a programme they're letting players who are over age played down in age because they produced the stats that show I think like 65% of the players with pro contracts are born in the first half of the year it's completely weighted towards yeah. Gavin Ferguson's a freak he's October I mean he's breaking all the rules you know in terms of how talented he I is guess as, and so as, trying to do stuff they're trying to say though the freak is not the best way to judge the system no there's a text in uh, which makes a very fair point why don't we go for national academy for 16 to 20 year olds if we can't offer the best for kids at the various League of Ireland clubs then we should consolidate the way rugby does 
that comes up. There are people in the FBI um, or around the FBI who have advocated for it. Um, to me, there's still a complexity around that because you talk about late developers. Like, how many do you put into that academy? Do you put 100 into it? Do you put, you know, 60, Could 40, you scour best practice around Europe and different countries? Yeah, I mean, there are countries that have versions of it. I mean, there was like, previously in England, there was like Lillish Hall and, you know, like there's been there's been places that have have done this, and maybe Claire, there is Claire Fontaine is Claire Fontaine, and like how do you manage the ownership of the clubs? And people would say it needs to start a lot earlier with this stuff as well too. You know, like sixteen to twenty, like yeah, like there'll be different views, and like I think we're rugby you are comparing apples with oranges in terms of like the realities of what you're competing yeah. with across the continent. It's a discussion point. Like you could you have regional versions of it, but then what you have is you have some clubs here who are trying to press on and do things their way who probably wouldn't be mad and then sort of been losing their players losing their players but also sort of putting everything into the hands of a centralised system it's a discussion point personally I think just uh, based, I can see where that texture no I can see it that based on what you're telling us about the, the state of affairs across the country I can see it but I mean the, the broader point is there is talks about a submission for funding at the moment okay. I think the part of it is you know how many full time staff do you need per club like you need so much more but there's layers to it like sure. we're so far behind and maybe sometimes you compare it to England okay that's maybe unfair it's one of the most advanced like football systems yeah. there is yeah um, but you've got to aspire to best we practice we have to aspire to it but it's just like and Dan I, like, I don't, it's a wealthy country like we should be able to get things in gear you know it shouldn't be beyond us yeah and there is an argument that actually as much as we can be hard on ourselves sometimes and say uh, we should be uh, you know, like we're, we're miles off. It could be argued from the flip side, well, what exists out there at the moment or the, the dirt of what exists out there at the moment, they're actually doing brilliantly well in in, in, a, in a strange way that we've managed to get X amount of players. Like, there's actually quite a few... In, in spite of ourselves. Yeah, in spite of ourselves. No, like, if you, but it's mad. But like, crazy, we're back Isn't to that. it though? But like, look at look at the, the three youngest Irish players in the Premier League this year to see game time. Be Evan Ferguson, Gavin Bazunu, Andrew Moran. Brighton, Bray, like they actually all ended up playing first team football here at 15, 16. Yeah. Um, and that's the, what's going to happen. It's probably, in some ways, the League of Ireland has become a lot more relevant and it can be a, it's a massive positive in some respects. But, yeah. like, there's, there's a massive, like, there's a massive discussion to come in terms of, okay, it's one thing to say we need loads of money and investment, but this is the whole point of how you divide it, where do you send it towards, how do you make those tough decisions? And sometimes in football here, like, they don't actually get things done because there's a sense of, well, we just have to share it around everywhere. And naturally, it's like Irish political life and how it functions in many respects is like a microcosm of that. And you have to create some kind of standard that you aspire to reaching and then maybe... I think the view is that helps, and they're getting the they're getting advice from people around you know companies around Europe, people who had the Premier League to establish best practice with that. Clock is against us, John O'Shea. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a significant appointment. His promotion from the under twenty one set up to Stephen Kenny's staff. A bit of a surprise to me, I have to say. Um, I found Stephen Kenny was asked if he was on the lookout for a coach after the last set of games in the press conference was striking because he almost bristled at the question. As in, we don't, we don't need a coach. What's the coach for? Well, I think yeah, I think I think Kenny's thing, and I think he said this before. He's probably a little bit bemused by the focus on um, the number three in a setup. But that's because it was Anthony Barry. That's what, what it was. But it started with Damien Duffy. See, like he started okay. off with a high-profile figure who left in a high-profile manner, yeah. and then it suddenly became 
this thing where okay the identity of this person is key then Anthony Barry came in yeah great reports and, and it's just became a thing it's good to see uh, he's gone for a low profile appointment well, it's O'Shea. come full circle I was writing about this it's come full circle back to another like centurion um, but O'Shea has been like the, the, in some ways O'Shea I think ticks a lot of the boxes like Kenny for that role whatever about wanting a coach I think you wanted someone that was actively involved in the game a younger person you know on top of what's happening at club level yes. on the scene he hasn't been looking for the older figure out of work it's been more there's been a profile he's gone for O'Shea is at Stoke at the moment he's previously been at Reading um, so he's double jobbing but he's someone who's aware of the Irish players coming up with his work with the 21s and is forging a pretty decent reputation for himself okay. it would appear yeah. um, below the radar so it is uh, quite below the radar his career it is yeah. it is yeah he's just for whatever reason it's a little bit more low key than various other people you know, becoming assistants or number threes or whatever in in various places, but um, the, the vibe I'm picking up is that to a certain degree of, like, I don't think O'Shea is in a mad rush. I don't think he's going to be going somewhere. His famous last words played us back, and he's, he's, he's been appointed a manager of like the Championship Club in three months. Belgium time. will he, come looking. He's, for o- he's off again. I think he'll be here for the campaign. I think he will be there for he, the campaign. I mean, he better be. It's a short term <laughs> run, but I think. I think that like it should be a little bit more of a seamless thing. I think the idea of another new phase coming in that no one had met before, before a camp where you play France, like, yeah. wouldn't be ideal. Okay. So um, I think there's a lot of things pointing towards it being a, a pretty good solution. Seamless but of fit. course, in, yeah. that's, in, that's on paper. We'll see how it works out in practice. Okay. Our football show coverage brought to you by Sky. Watch every Champions League and Europa League match live in BT Sport this season. Latest in Leipzig one all. It is just gone full time. It has one all. First leg. Football on off the ball with Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports.